Hello and welcome back to Everyday in Unidir, a podcast coming to you at the best of times and apparently at the worst of times. Uh, as usual, I'm your host, Lee, and with me as always is Pete, Mr. Big Dinners. Hello, Pete. It seems like I'm taking that title from Gary Sandbrook. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure like he would probably give you the uh, keys to the city or of whatever city or shit old townies in China. Keys to his gut. <laughs> or something. That sounds, <laughs> like, that sounds like... Yeah, I don't want to... <laughs> <laughs> you can go have a big dinner with him and celebrate I can have a, the passing yeah, of the big dinner. I'll have a big dinner mantle. with him. Will I crack, have a, a couple of bottles of wine and then, you know, give you the keys to his... His... <laughs> whatever. What did I say? Something. I <laughs> gut. Esophagus. Yeah, if excuse me. Um, I won't be doing that. <laughs> anyway, uh, how's your week been? Uh, we might as well get the pleasantries out of the way. Uh, yeah, so if anyone listens to this, isn't aware, well, everyone's not aware, we don't do any pleasantries pre record or post record. We literally, <laughs> you just you just literally call up, and then within about sort of thirty seconds, we're usually recording. So that is that. That's usually why we get the non anecdotes that we do. Probably, yeah. I mean, that's so that. This is genuinely, genuinely asking uh, about my week. Although you know, it's not like we've not been in touch. Does anyone care? Also, it's the previous week. Once people listen to this, but um, uh, I mean. You know, shit in its own ways, but like, but yeah, just <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to say. It's like uh, there's not like seventy thousand people getting COVID a day anymore. Uh, oh, oh, the, the big C. We should have a siren going up, or whoever says it has to pay a ton to charity for. Um, Oh, I'm trying to think of something funny that's also not politically incorrect or something. Um, <laughs> we could just put it into the big yeah, dinner fund. But yeah, at the end of the year, we'll if we're both alive still, we'll have um, a big dinner. Actually, we could record that <laughs> us on Skype, you know, a video chat, um, and we'll have a massive dinner that we'll share via video. Yeah. Uh, and actually, and the listeners no, surely, can join in. No, the person that like the person that has to like into it the most they don't they the other person then gets the big dinner while the other person works <laughs> some shit like yeah, that yeah they get well it's like that scene in you know the John Candy scene in The Great Outdoors where he is eating a gigantic steak that no one's ever finished before and the entire group at the restaurant eat for free if he can finish this off and then he sort of almost finishes mm. and then they're like no, you haven't finished you've got to finish all that and it's all like the gristle and the fat um, so who, yeah whoever pays the most doesn't have to eat and it will be like a giant meal that everyone else over, you know, this would be quite good actually like on Zoom so you could have you know the listenerships listenerships could be watching <laughs> uh, whoever it's like a reverse auction and uh, in a way you but you pay well it's not a reverse auction it's a auction that works by standard auction logic <laughs> by going up in price but it just means that you don't end up like a blind auction and whoever pays the lowest like the cheapest person eats the massive dinner and they've got to eat it yeah. 
in front of us all on video. We'll work out. We've got another 10 months to work this out. So, <laughs> um, That is quite a reference. Um, I'm not actually familiar. I, I know the scene. I don't know the It's movie. a great scene. Um, it's cracking stuff. Everyone um, go and put John Candy eating massive steak on into YouTube. Um, and yeah. um, Didn't he die of a heart attack? <laughs> well, I'm not surprised he did. I don't think he actually ate the steak in the show, in the film. I think it was probably... I reckon he a CGI is an eight stake, but um, <laughs> no, but I mean, come on! If you're as big as John Candy and someone puts a massive stake in front of you, you're at least having half of it. Uh, yeah, but it's probably like cold and stuff. You know, I mean, in he had between, to put like, stuff in his mouth. You know, obviously, it wasn't like styrofoam to make to look like steak that'd be taken. Yeah, but a bit even far, a cold, but, like a, a, a well cooked cold steak, is still tasty. Um, I'm trying to think if yeah, when I ate meat, if I would have agreed. But anyway, um, I did. Um, yeah, I do, I do, I do miss John Candy. You sort of can. There's a trajectory of like you know the world getting worse without Candy, um, and I watched Planes, Trains, and Automobiles for the first time all the way through in December, and yeah, he just like I think John Candy's one of those people, and because like, I've seen him interviewed, plus you know in films, he's a very lovable character. And that is apparently what he was like in real life as well, but a bit troubled, like yeah. dark sort of, so not totally, but like, anyway, well, we can, it's the John Candy special. <laughs> That's that sorted. Um, Do you have any opinions on John no, Candy? Um, was it dude, planes, trains and automobiles? He was in Home Alone briefly. Cool runnings. He was great in Cool Runnings. Um, um, Uncle Buck. Yep, Uncle Buck. We had, the, um, the bit where he has to wee in a very small urinal. <laughs> yeah. That's the best bit. Just to say about Um No, but I mean, I can't actually think of other Was he in Kenny Shack? Yeah, I think so. Maybe I, I should have like a, I should record myself doing a John Candy weekend and I re- like literally watch every single one of his films back to back for like nine hours. Won't be longer than that. And record my like slide into <laughs> Candy land. Madness. Um, but he was um, one of those people that got famous from Saturday Night Live, wasn't he? Probably. Um, well, interestingly... Spaceballs. Oh, I the other one. Because I don't find Steve Martin in any way funny, and I don't understand... Really? ...why he's seen as, like, the gold standard of, like, stand-up and, like, an acting com- comedy. He's, he's decent in Planes, Trains, and all of it, but it's all very... I don't know. Yeah, it's sort of OTT, but not in a good way for me. And uh, I don't. I just don't find him funny whatsoever. Like, yeah. I don't like his stand-up. I, I mean, some of, like, I've seen clips of his stand-up where there are bits where he's funny, but... Oh, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. Not, not like, I couldn't sit through an hour of it. Um, that would drive me bonkers. Um, but, like, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, I like that. Um, the Jerk. <laughs> Um, man with half a brain. I enjoyed. I think you just um, you just look maybe because I could relate. Listeners. But you know, huh? just... <laughs> that is dirty run scoundrels and people with half a brain. <laughs> Come on, mate. These are the people you know, not you know, keeping us in our our hot dinners or whatever. Buy me, mm. don't buy me a coffee. Oh, we have um, we have coffee. big news. We no longer need the one. On uh, oh. on our Twitter handle, 
me pretending to be interested. Oh, <laughs> uh, actually, <laughs> no. yeah, interesting, interesting, because I tried to log in to our own Twitter the other day, and I wasn't able to log in <laughs> because of that one's gone. Um, yeah. And I that felt wrong. Um, but yes, it's EDNN podcast. Yeah. At Twitter Which, or whatever uh, it is. Know. Feel free to uh, follow at your leisure. No one's going to do that. Anyone who, yeah, anyone who's going to already is, um, and you know, there's only so much I can do to bring in new, new listeners <laughs> once a month or something. <laughs> Not like that. Um, Just but, yeah, you know, people I chat to or whatever. So, so I'm, no non anecdote this week. No, no tiramisu at the back of a boot yes, I, think, um, I mean we did have your uh, ramble this week well, as I've got, well yeah so, there's, I mean, there's the ramble the, the dog monk special oh yeah I've got news though because I did tell you this that I've All got right. news I just lined this up oh so. yeah that's right yeah yeah, yeah, no, yeah this so, is exciting so I've totally forgotten second. about this hang on oh god here we go here we there's go. musical interlude isn't there <laughs> oh we'll turn it down hang on right no wait <laughs> Not sure it works with the sort of ball clash crash. Uh, I've decided to never do tanning again. <laughs> All right. When they're in like three months' time. Let's get into this. How did you come to this uh, revelation? Um, I don't know. I just saw uh, you know a medical expert <laughs> talking about <coughs> the. Oh no, it was a guy who was talking about how not to age. And he like showed these pictures on. It's like a Google talk, and he's like, you know, look at this picture of this person, and you know, obviously the state of the skin. That's you know, radio, ray, okay, uh, <laughs> you, you know, UVB or UVA waves or whatever, uh, and radiation damage to the skin, right? And it was just a sign of like mm. what happens to our bodies where it's being smashed to pieces by something. And the other version could be like, mm. if you eat red meat every day, the same's happening internally. Or whatever, you know. Uh, and also, I was going through the archives, kind of, I don't know what it was, like for a picture or getting rid of pictures or something. And I saw a picture, uh, like a selfie. Which, yes, very rare that I take selfies, but um, <laughs> once every three years. <laughs> but, um, and I looked and it was the lot, and it was from like November or something when I had been having a tan. And I thought, my skin looks quite bad. And, now I don't have, I had these like, I realised I had these like permanent sort of red hues, H-U-E-S, not hue, G-H-E-S. I had these hues on my face of like red hues like around the, the, the like tash, the tash area, if that's what it's mm. called. And then around the chin. And I was just like, yeah, man, this isn't good. And there's sort of those like liver spot type. And, you know, I've done a lot of sun damage to my face obviously in the last few years, which I used to be really good at that, not at all. And I was just sort of thinking, I look like pale and a bit deathly at the moment. Um, but then again, I don't look, I don't know, I don't I don't look 50 or I don't, and I don't look burnt and stuff perennially. Um, and so, you know, way COVID might have saved my life because it is interesting because if there was no COVID, will I have just carried on because they wouldn't have closed the beauty salons and then mm. I might have had melanoma in six months time and because there's COVID I and they're closed I've come I've had time to reconsider this ill-conceived mm-hmm. tanning 
Well, so here's a weird question. Does it matter that you look older than you are? Um, yeah, I mean, I quite, I quite like having like, you know, 28-year-olds say, oh, right, I thought you were 29. I don't know why, you know. <laughs> no, but I like. I don't. I, I don't know. You. you we can say that because we're not t- totally old yet. Old looking, but I think you will. F- I think when you look fifty, you'll be like, oh shit. Not totally. I mean, it. Yeah, you know, can you can look better, getting old. Like I, you know, I was like a bit of a munter when I was younger. Now I look better than I did when I was like twenty five. Even when I was 30, I found like a picture of me the other day and I look like, I mean, I look like I've come out of a fucking gulag in <laughs> in Siberia or something for being like a political opponent to Putin. So it's very strange, like sort of, and um, maybe I'll have to put those up on the Twitter <laughs> thing. Um, yeah, and so, I don't know. So it doesn't matter, obviously, like, you know, overall it doesn't really matter. But I mean, if your body is damaged. Like if you're damaging your skin to an extent, you're obviously doing stuff that is not just the look. It's, you know, you're obviously making it more likely you're going to get skin, which every, everyone obviously, yeah, we were joking about this. Everyone knows it. And it's like probably bizarre to anyone else. I'm like, Oh, I've had this realization. Um, but it was, yeah, it's a beautiful experiment while it lasted. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, there you go. And overall, I think, cause I looked, on our Spotify feed at the la- when we did the last episode, I think it was the 28th something to September before we had, yeah, season three started. Uh, so last episode, season two is like late September. And I mentioned in the thing that I've, my newly found tanning uh, routine. And so I probably, that's probably like mid-September, late September. So it's literally only three months I was doing it. And November to December, it was all closed for like a month because of... So we probably thought I did it for two months overall. It feels like a hell of a a big thing. That's how, like, uninteresting my life is, that we talked about this quite a lot. But I was only doing it for two fucking months. Well, I mean, it, it was a re- reoccur- recurring, reoccurring theme uh, for a while. But... Um, I don't know. This is the thing. Like, I I could never like. I like being in the sun. Um, it genuinely makes me feel oh, yeah. like I don't want to, um, you know, jump off a cliff. Um, so the idea of being able to sit out in the sun for hours is really nice, and I do enjoy it. Um, <laughs> I would never <laughs> go to it. <a, laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, I mean, the three hours of summer that we get, you know. Um, I would never, I could never imagine, like, I don't sit in the sun for vanity to make my skin look yeah, good yeah. or anything like that. It's just, it just, like, as a feeling of warmth on my face, I enjoy that in an extended period of time. So, I mean, you know, a sort of nine minute stint in a <laughs> box <laughs> doesn't quite have the same. No, but that's, feel yeah, so that's, being- that's the thing. I think that's what's hit on it. So that I can do that maybe in the summer where, even if you're like damaging your skin or it's not, yeah, it's not great for your health and it might age you, at least you get something else from it. I.e., you know, like, you know, you need to be out in the sun during, the, you know, you need to be just generally, I mean, 
you know, the, the C word sort of said about it, it completely bounces and there's bouncing parts of the world where you're above a certain, like the, the mortality rate is just goes whoop, like whooshes up when you're over a certain attitude um, because you're not getting vitamin D. And so there is obviously something, I mean, obviously if you have very pale skin, your body's evolved to a point where it's like, okay, you can sort of handle it and whatever, but it's not optimal health where you're sort of not able to, you know, and obviously, you know, you've like white epidermis because it takes in a max amount of uh, UVA, UVB and converts it into vitamin D. Um, in the very small pockets of time, we have that available to us. Anyway, uh, but anyway, so that's the big news. <laughs> and uh, yeah. No, but the vitamin D thing is also like, I think, um, you know, I mean here because all right, so the past like two, three weeks, the temperature has been getting down to like minus 10 and stuff Christ. like that. Um, and it's been freezing and I've barely left it's the house. Seats, mate. Um, Beautiful. Well, very nice. Well, I mean, it got up to six today. Oh. So we've had like a very big bounce, like literally like up to Thursday, it was fucking freezing. And then this weekend it's been pissing with rain. So, you know, pleasant change <laughs> from, uh, you know, being, Absolutely. We got to like move to. I'm not saying together that would be to have weird connotations, but we got to like move to do this in Saint Kitts or something. I don't don't know what Saint (laughs) Kitts is like. I just assume there's sun there and maybe seaside. I don't know. Um, Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. Got to get out of Sweden um, in the UK. No, it's it's brutal, basically. Um, I don't fucking hate it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, We've got to get the hell out of there. But I did see the sun for like five minutes. No, but I mean, but my larger point was, um, you know, because I have barely left the house, like I am also genuinely quite glad that I had the foresight to buy uh, vitamin D supplements and take them, like take them more or less regularly. Sometimes forget, but I think I, you know, I would have gone absolutely crackers if I uh, didn't think about that before. Um, So, uh, Yeah, anyway. Um, But luckily, um, with the rain and being inside all the time, that has uh, enabled me and, you know, you as well, but you can't go anywhere anyway, so it doesn't really matter, um, to watch the better part of, what, eight, seven, eight hours of uh, Adam Curtis's new documentary. Curtis's documentary. (laughs) <laughs> Richard Curtis it's eight hours of Richard Curtis and I would just definitely you know no, but w- you'd have to keep all the sharp objects away from me but you could probably split the world into um, the Adam Curtis fans and then the Richard Curtis fans and Rich Curtis could do like a fun uplifting version of the Adam Curtis stuff so, yeah the world's confusing and strange place and there's no real sort of co- that, that <laughs> is basically like um, what the fuck was that movie called the Christmas one yeah, basically. Uh, yes, yes, basically. That's what it's called. Love Actually. Love Actually. Yes, that's the one. Um, yeah, where this whole fucking Hugh Grant at the end is like, well, you know, if you are not at the end, maybe it's the beginning. I <laughs> that's don't know. good. Uh, he's in fucking like Heathrow or Gatwick and, you know, people are hugging because they haven't seen each other for a while. You know, like, well, love is all around, blah, blah, blah. blah. Huge Grant. Um, that's why. I or, you know. Huh? I've got a thing. I love referring to anyone called Hugh, but call it huge because it's usually quite funny. 
So huge grant, and that's probably quite literal because I assume he just got loads of money. He was, you know, I don't know, but I assume so. Huge grant, huge Jackman, huge lorry. That's you send it. <laughs> he is quite cool. Yeah, send the others in, everyone. Uh, when I say everyone. Aaron. <laughs> Speaking of Aaron, so he <laughs> asked us to what we thought our thoughts on Adam Curtis's like eight hour uh series. Uh and and as I was saying in the last episode, message us on Twitter to tell us what you would like us to do like talk about, maybe. I was literally meant to give the disclaimer, not Aaron. <laughs> because I knew he was the only person who would do it, and he's fucking dropped us in it sort of setting us eight hour homework <laughs> and you went with it at first i was like yeah i sort of poo pooed it in my mind and i was like fuck that it get knotted and then you you went with it and i was like fucking hell yeah but this i really like i mean adam curtis his power of nightmares I sat. I can distinctly remember sitting down and watching that because I, I was at my grandmother's yep. house, and I'd finished work around nine in the evening, and I got home and I put it on, and there was a re- repeat this of it anecdote. on uh, BBC Two. Yes, this is an anecdote. I also have <laughs> incidents where nothing particular happened, but this is actually relevant. Could you talk about the contents of the current one, not where you watched... <laughs> I'm joking. One of his documentaries no, 15 years ago. My point being no, no, is no. that his... Like, watching his document... Like, that was... Because I had no idea who he was. I'd, I'd not seen Century of the Self. Um, and I'd never heard of him before. Like, I just, like, sat down and was like, oh, well, this sounds interesting. Um, you know, checked the radio times uh, <laughs> right. in physical form and was like... <laughs> There was, it was in, I had it at my grandma's house. I don't, don't ask. Um, and uh, it was just, you know, uh, Adam Curtis's new documentary about uh, the impact of terrorism and sort of being an enlightened 18, 19 year old. I was like, oh, this might be interesting. I sat down and watched it and it fucking blew my mind. Um, and so I've always um, liked watching his, his documentaries. And obviously he's done the thing with Charlie Brooker. Uh, as well, and uh, like Bitter Lake and Hypernormalization weren't great compared to Power of Nightmares, but um, his new one is pretty good, I would say. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, what did you think of it? Yeah, it's good. <laughs> no, but I mean, yeah, well, I do enjoy his stuff, but it's a bit. Um... So if you take out Bitter Lake and maybe censure yourself, but not entirely, like it's very, very samey. And I do wonder like what his, so, but he just sort of pivots it around a particular individual or so I think censure yourself. It's very about like Rand Freud and I think maybe his sister and just stuff like that. And, and the sort of, it's a pivotal mm. sort of person. And, this one, it's obviously Mao's wife in China, obviously Putin, Russia. It's like Limonot. So people also that you're like, you know, you do have to wonder how much he gives. I mean, the last episode, the stuff about Tupac. I mean, I get it, but also it's also a bit like 
you're given quite a lot of sides to Supaxical's reach and scope and meaning inside the culture. Uh, and this mm. Limonov guy in, from Russia that yeah. probably no one's heard of because I haven't, but uh, and it's <coughs> very scattergun. So I think he has an issue. With- well, so this is this is the thing. Okay, so I initially would have agreed with you until I sort of had the chance to sort of sit and think about it a little bit. So it's called Can't Get You Out of My Head. Um, and it's meant to sort of be this sort of emotional history of the world of the 20th century and 21st century. Um, and it does start really randomly, like with very weird positions. I mean, it's uh, Mao's wife, uh, Jiang Qing. It's Michael X, who I only have like a passing knowledge of. Um, you know, the Panthers, like dropped, there's, there's sort the of way. these characters, these groups, like, huh? Sorry, just to cut. So why Michael X is dropped because I've, I feel that he was of almost no import, I imagine. But um, Mao's wife wasn't. And she is the thread of her life and her role in like Chinese politics because there's a lot in that. <laughs> Whereas Michael X is almost mm. sort of fuck all, really. Uh, and he's an interesting person yeah. to have learnt about and watch Adam Curtis talk about. But, mm. like, you know, the people he sort of picks up and drops them and then butters someone else, the thread yeah. will go run all the way through. And that's that's where I think the narrative yeah. can break down, especially where it's all bamboozling yeah. with the, yeah, cinematography. Well, it's not cinematography, but, like, the yeah documentary yeah. style. Yeah. But what I think is like just sort of on the sort of aesthetics of the program before getting into the sort of details of it, like what I think he does really well is using incredible archive yeah, footage cool. and things that, you know, people will, you know, I mean, <clears throat> he's, he's quite fortunate to have the, um, uh, the backing of the BBC to be able to get into the BBC archives. Cause that must be incredible. But I mean, some of the scenes um, from that, you know, which, you know, if you're thinking about, say, footage of uh, Douglas Hume mm-hmm. um, talking about having multiple affairs and being pissed off that his wife wants to divorce him, you know, why, why is anybody looking at that? Like, I mean, he was like, he's not really relevant in the sort of, you know, 21st yeah. century in any way, shape or form. And I can't imagine there are people lining up to do documentaries about, you know, um, Michael Howard's current wife's ex-husband. You know, it's not. Um, yeah, you know, and I mean, like, it's just it, it like um, it was really, like, and that was one of the ones that I was like, I don't quite get the relevance. Right, okay. um, whereas the Michael Howard, uh, sorry, the Michael X one, I thought that it was interesting in the sense that he did sort of play up to this idea of being sort of, and you know the. British black power yeah. movement and then how that sort of, and particularly in Notting Hill. And I think part of the reason that resonated with me a little bit is because my mom used to live in Notting Hill um, as well. So being sort of Trinidadian in, in mm. Notting Hill in the sixties and seventies is it's, and you can, and then now like I have a friend who, whose family owns a house in Notting Hill and it's, you know, a four story mansion. Oh, yeah. um, and it's very, I can imagine the idea of like having a lot of the West Indian immigrants in that area in the sixties and seventies. And then the sort of 
the need for um, representation in the era being co-opted by sort of white savior liberals. Um, and then you look at so that sort of that's why like I I didn't because I didn't really know much about him. It was sort of quite interesting to learn about and sort of seeing it's sort of having more of a, a historical perspective on sort of how did Notting Hill become very white and gentrified when but it were at the time um, was it because it was sort of because actually that aspect there's an aspect of that episode that was really great kind of resonated with me which was um Mm. the sort of young-ish white liberals going into the area and sort of kind of telling people or uh, like what they needed to an extent uh, or mm. the, at one point it was just kind of data gathering to an extent and they talked to this guy um, a black guy and he's like they just kind of come here they don't really know the area they don't know us and they don't sort of ask you know, like we're not involved it's not empowering us it's just kind of having a wander around and and it really resonated with me in terms of what I was involved with with like Labour up, like in a 2019 election where mm you know, I was doing something very similar and I look back on it now with a, a level of like confusion and unease where I'm like, man, there was a point, I remember, you know, and I was doing it for like, I think, you know, totally good reasons and I don't think anyone's wrong for doing what they're trying, but it's like, I, I was remember like walking around parts of Leeds where I was staying for like six days, um, like doing door knocking and stuff and I had no connection to the area and I'm like going around saying like vote for this MP who I don't really know. I don't really even much about him. He could be a complete fucking arsehole. Um, <clears throat> and because you need this, I coming up from yeah the southeast of England staying here for a few days, I'm going to let you know what it is. And I had this when I was also then in like, and then I was later on in Hastings doing the same thing, but in, very like deprived areas that I had like no connection with. And um, obviously it was a bit different because, you know, I didn't have an accent in those parts because, you know, I was from, I was from the Southeast. So it didn't stand out quite as obviously. And now I look back on it though. Yeah. I'm just like, it was this real like talking to or at rather than like people organically from that community saying, Oh, I really like that Corbyn guy. We're going to go and just... Like, and obviously there were people doing that from Hastings and from those communities, but no, I bet the activists I met, I wouldn't say they were from the sort of deprived areas that uh, I, I was, you know, campaigning around. And that really... So in that mm. part of the documentary, that episode, the Michael Exeter episode, um, that really hit me where I was just like, wow, man, this... But I mean, that's always been the thing on the left. So I mean... Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. No, but I mean, I, like, it's it's just weird to think about. Like when you think of like Notting Hill now, you know, I mean, I don't know what it's like now to be sort, sort of ethnically diverse. It's, or it's not. a very, very. Um, I don't necessarily know how ethnically diverse it is, but it's very affluent. But I mean, that's as direct. I mean, it was basically a slumming, like between the forties. Um, so it was it was quite badly damaged during the Blitz. Um, basically became slums. So a lot of the um, townhouses and, and things were um, then separated into multiple apartments. Okay. Very similar to what happened, uh, um, what Primrose Hill was like as well. So there was a lot of big houses and then they got separated into multiple apartments, became quite a sort of deprived area 
then they sort of cleared a lot of people out and then you had like very uh, affluent people move in. Um, so, I mean, you know, like, you know, Notting Hill Carnival, for example, isn't, it's Notting Hill Carnival oh, yeah. because it started after the Notting Hill race riots. Yeah. Um, it's not because Notting Hill is a great and wonderful area. It was a shithole and it was an attempt to sort of, you know, heal um, uh, a lot of racial problems in the, in the sort of end of the 50s, 60s and 70s. And now, to, and now it's, you know, for 23-year-old um, white hipsters to go and get fucked up at and take pictures and put on Instagram going, look at me, you know, black people, woo, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, no, but that is exactly it. I mean, like, I've gone out clubbing in Nottingham, I've gone to Carnival a lot of times, I've gone to, like, house parties there and stuff like that. It's, um, you know, and I remember, like, I, I was I was probably in my early 20s when I found out that my mum actually was living there um, when she after she moved to the UK. So it's quite weird. I mean, she also lived in Brixton and places like that as well. Um, you know, whereas... And, you know, again, it's this sort of thing where it's, these are now very affluent areas, you know. I mean, I get Brixton's probably still a bit of a shithole in some cases, but... Um, That's the thing. Remember what an affluent uh, area in the UK is to some extent. <laughs> I mean, re- re- no, but yeah, really, exactly. that is it. Because, um, like, I I think, you know, I was a baby when my parents lived in Brixton for, like, a year, like, in Streatham, then Brixton, and then left... <laughs> uh yeah just mm. into sorry um and so i think i was in brits for like a year or something a year or two and uh there's a point where my parents were just like i think a guy had his throat slit across my dad's car and then my parents were like okay let's just get out of here um and then no. so now there's all the like sort of graduates like white i think graduates and like you know people under sort of 40 moving into the area sort of gentrifying it and I've sort of said to my mum about stuff about it. It's actually, and she's like, she can't get the thought out of her head that it's, you know, like probably quite violent. These are, you know, her sort of like views or sort of thing where it's like, oh, there's the violence of the riots and stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, and just like very poor and somewhere to like, mm. you know, for like, I guess middle classes, well, work class at the time, but like middle work class, like white people to sort of feel they had to run away from or whatever, uh, you know, yeah. if they're not actually involved in the sort of community to sort of like try and change it or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, so she can't believe that it's like, you know, white picket fences and stuff now. But I mean, I think that that's one of the things. So, okay, so, so moving away from Michael X and White <laughs> The crappiest part um, of the entire documentary. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, like, what I do like about, and his general shtick is that, you know, you sort of find these individuals in sort of massive events and sort of we trying to weave a thread. And, yeah, okay, some of them get dropped, but, I mean, in eight hours, <laughs> some shit's going to get dropped. Um, but I think that the sort of you know, the central current of it being um, how we've got to a place where, you know, we, like, I think that there's, there's a sense of the, when he talks about sort of a lot of about individualism and sort of having sort of, we have this idea that we are rational actors and we can be sort of quantified and so on. And then like, there was, what I found really interesting was there was a bit about a woman who had, damage to her brainstem Mm -hmm. and the two halves of the brain had to be separated. And that, you know, in one sense, like she would go to a cupboard 
pick out some clothes and stuff like tell her, her brain would say like i want to pick out um you know this item of clothing and stuff like that and her right hand to tell the right hand to do it but then her left hand would start doing something yeah. else and that was sort of like two sort of separate parts of the personality sort of um that they were sort of both in one sense her um but there was sort of a decision making process that was going on that she was not necessarily conscious of and i think that sort of bringing into the wider sort of element of it, at least what i took away from it is that there is this sort of numbing feeling of like you know a lot of things are just happening um that you don't have any control over and and again something that sort of why i really enjoyed it is there were a lot of things in in it that i sort of could relate to um you know sort of like sort of talking about um you know michael x for example but also um you know when talking about the tiananmen square riots i was living in beijing when um when they happened um it's one of my earliest memories of that happening um and sort of china changing moving back to shanghai in 1997 which was a year that they sort of picked up on i was and, and particularly with the china stuff like talking about um the mayor of chongqing um bo shilai and his wife and this the mother of paul oh, yeah. um like i you know i was in china when this was happening okay. you know 10 years ago um so i remember so, so things like that really distinctly i am uh i remember tupac being shot you know like a lot of friends that listened to him obviously september 11th um the war in iraq abu ghraib a lot of so a lot of, and then sort of um you know google changing and stuff like that and you know things like that and i think that's really that the, there are these there are big events that are happening and you know and i just sort of take a very structuralist view of things that like you know you can have individuals that are sort of leading events but really like you're um you're bound by the structures around you that you can't necessarily um um necessarily interact with directly that you're sort of caught up in a wave of things happening i mean if you think of the oh, the other thing financial crisis mm-hmm. you know like sort yeah. of delegating um you know complex mortgage lending to algorithms and then watching everything fall apart and then also the fact that what are the major consequences of it you know what were the major consequences of the patriot act um in terms of like privacy and how that affects um you know the change in the internet revolution and things like that you know the sort of things that there is always like for me there's always been a creeping sense of like there are a lot of things like i'm not like a conspiracy nut you know i don't believe, you know it's funny when he was talking about the illuminati and sort yeah, of yeah. this was a joke started in playboy magazine basically <laughs> um you know and now people have like and it's become the sort of one of the most famous conspiracy theories of the 21st century and how it's I mean, one of the to... few things that makes sense you know yeah. it no, no, definitely yeah <laughs> Um, I mean, no, like, but so, I think that sorry, go on. sorry okay. uh, no but what I was going to say is that like I don't have this view that there there is this sort of secret cabal of people doing these things I think that there are people in positions that are making decisions that the long term consequences are very rarely thought about and yeah, it ends up becoming a very like they sort of um the the sort of domino effect of all of these different decisions ends up creating a very very pervasive um uh feel like feeling of that there are a lot of things happening that we just 
completely powerless to to sort of really fully comprehend and that and you know and how that leads to things like anxiety and mm. you know whether it would have been the um you know valium or opioids uh, being, well, well opi- or initially valium and then um oxycontin and how that affects people um you know but also like i never really thought about the op- i mean obviously like i understand the, the connection between the opioid crisis in america happening in a lot of places where there's been massive deindustrialization, yeah. um, particularly around like coal mining in Appalachia uh, and things like that. So to sort of have it, you know, and I like, you know, I know who the Sackler family is um, vaguely. I had no idea that they were also the, the guy, um, the, the patriarch of the family invented Valium and things like that, yeah. you know, like, so, th- so it's interesting to sort of see things that like, Okay, I, I look at this in a very um, almost atomized sense, you know, like I don't see the connection between that and say what's going on in Russia and how like whether there is any connection, for example, uh, in terms of, you know, the fall of the Soviet Union and things like that. But what I do enjoy, what I did enjoy about um, the documentary was that like it doesn't necessarily have to have a direct connection but these things happening in parallel have wider consequences. Um, and yeah. that well, the consequence yeah. is that we're sort of now just completely, you know, desensitized to a lot of just shit things happening constantly. I mean, I'm still like, I'm to this day, I'm still very angry about the 2008 financial crisis. Um, and it annoys me all the time. Um, yeah, I mean, there's and no, like, there's nothing's been. I think someone said on like Twitter because I retweeted someone saying like, no one's been sort of given. Like, there's not a like Adam Curtis type person who's been like given the money. Like, who isn't Adam Curtis because he's the one person doing some of this stuff. You know, <laughs> given the money to send to go, go away and sort of look into and sort of explain the financial crisis. I mean, Adam Curtis has, but that's one view of things. Um. And there's, uh, everything's kind of been in stasis since that, where the new it hasn't like come about, but obviously that has like imploded. But because the system beforehand, obviously like in terms of like credit bubble, was largely like a fictitious economy, propping mm. things up. If something a fictitious like economy collapses, <laughs> what has collapsed? Like a fiction, I suppose. So. Uh, it's hard then to say, obviously it's had then real world implications, but it's hard to say what has fallen apart kind of thing. And this is, I think, so what was interesting is like, I think, because I, I mean, he, I, it's so wide and like wildly vast, the documentary, mm. I can, all I can say is like what I found from it. I, you know, I'm not saying what it actually was or is, but I think it's this thing of, one, you know, like all revolutions and turnover of elites and powers failing yeah. in different ways and in their own way. And all the Russia stuff is like the oldest one in terms of like that revolution went back sort of uh, a sort of a turning. And Adam Kurtz has talked about this before, I think is a century of South where it's like a turning into yourself and into individualism because of previous communally minded and organized movements, revolutions failing. So, you know, the hippies were like, well, we didn't, 
overthrow the French government and, you know, 68 in Chicago, whatever, didn't actually work. But if we could, so we can't yeah. free ourselves like from the chains, but you can free your mind. Um, yeah. And, but yeah, just a sort of failure of all these, but partly also, this is a disturbing thing. And I think, what's it, is it John Gray? Like, I remember reading about it uh, and, you know, I can't do it justice in terms of, I'm not very like good at kind of, uh, maintaining detail of things I've read or watched. It's terrible. But I remember just finding it very so we're just that kind of a sort of a turnover of elites who, you know, let's say, I mean, let's say in a bizarro world where like the left is organized enough to like come to power, you've got to deal with the fact that, you know, your political enemies still exist. And the a large mass of the population, if you've come to power in any other way than like a democrat like democratic vote probably don't agree with you and your own policies and things and it already warps what you're going to do by the fact that you've got to like maintain and control the mass is or the mass of the people uh and we've seen how that basically goes on on sort of from all like sides of the political spectrum you know it's, it's often you know violence um well i mean like i don't know much like i've only read two of john gray's books and i enjoyed them yeah, yeah. but he's relative like i i know i don't know enough about him but i know people find him problematic as a philosopher oh yeah sure yeah um, I imagine. so i only read straw dogs and uh al-qaeda and what it means to be modern and they're both um uh, both very good books. I mean, yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's a bit disturbing. <laughs> I mean, where so you're not reading something. So like Adam Curtis, for example, I thought I think he's seen as a lefty, and if you, I mm. yeah, did a quick look up, and he's like, I'm absolutely not on the left, and he's mm. more, he basically regards himself as like more of like a libertarian, uh, and it, mm. and actually like somewhat of a neocon at some point in the past, which is quite interesting, yeah. even though he critiques that kind of sort of view of the world and the political movement behind that but what seems to be the thing is where you've had all these failed so you have like a so you have a fancy world constructed that as i'm called a fancy world of like the fictitious capital where you know everyone can buy into that it could be a bureaucrat nobody with no political views goals aims hobbies interest putin it can be the chinese communist party um, it could be Western powers, yeah, liberal democracies, whatever. And they can all sort of buy into this kind of sort of fancy world where money is the like core drive of existence and organizing organizing tool of like society. Um, and that seems to be the one thing that, you know, you can have all these ideals names, but that the names have failed, but just kind of, I don't know, worshiping just the fact that, you know, like consumption and like conspicuous consumption, whatever it's like, but, but then now a new thing and there's like a new sort of breed of technocrats who are into this and, or not even technocrats, but like disruptor technocrats, like a Dominic Cummings type person. And and then obviously like psychologists mm. over the years where they see algorithmic control of society as the future. So, and that might involve not having tens of thousands or millions of people die each time you try to restructure society to be less awful than the previous structure, which is, tends to be what happened. I mean, I can't, I can't think of a, like a non-violent, you know, revolutionary move and change that hasn't led to obviously massive bloodshed and things. So the idea is, mm, well, you, know, you just kind of, 
turn human humanity into sort of like a murmurating movement of or like a beehive or ant or whatever and you can sort of predict individuals movements and in china they've actually turned this into policy obviously where you know you have the social credit score system where if you behave yourself look after your health you're more likely to you'll see a doctor quicker you'll be your dating profile will be higher at the top more likely to be seen by other people uh your kids will get into better school if again if you behave yourself and you can kind of you don't have to put your boot on the neck of anyone you don't have to put anyone in prison mm. i mean there will be people obviously that are put in prison but on mass scale um you don't have to incarcerate all sort of 18 to 30 year old black men like in a liberal democracy in america in the 90s uh, mm. that's like the West sort of an equivalent where we sort of like, oh, we don't really do that. Like Russia, it's like industrial scale imprisonment. Um, mm. And you can sort of tweak. And so like, this is definitely, this is what Cummings was like all about where it's sort of like, yeah, there's no, without the ant sort of colony, there's no individual ant without the group. There's no, it sort of works as one thing and you can predict, but then also, you know, you have nudge units now in government um, and it's a thing that they've introduced in France and Britain, this kind of thing, where you kind of try to nudge people's behaviour um, rather than, I don't know, f- in f- like force them to do someone to do something they don't want to do. Um, and I think this would be the thing of the future where you've got like a sort of fictitious service economy. Um, you've got the... Punch and Judy show of like a sort of the in the ruins of liberal democracy where it's like you know the bloke with the haircut versus the the clown um and mm. then if the people get the way who want the what's it they'll, they're in and you know now it's sort of in private control mostly apart from places like China where you have like your Googles what's it where they can predict and obviously shape human behavior and there'll be a weird thing of that where it's kind of quite it might end up being like a very peaceful, um, non-violent alternative to failed revolutions that turn in on themselves and just collapse and it's massively, you know, massive bloodshed. But obviously you've lost yeah. sort of, you know, free will. But do people want their ability to free will? Do they want to believe they've got free will? And that's the key thing because if you look at what voters are into and I, you know, I'm not, uh, and I'll include myself. I'm not saying I'm above this or something. Do people want freedom and free will? Like really when it comes down to it, or do they want a Victor Orban who will just sort of like talk about the bad people a bit, chuck money around, make sure your hospitals are sort of like funded even if they're not, you might believe they are, you know, what is it? They're going to build 40 new hostels, the Tories, Will they? Who the fuck knows? Mm. Um, yeah, you know, and you can sort of think, oh, I've, ta- I've taken back control. You've got probably less control than oh. you had before, but you feel you've taken back control. And, you know, that feeling, so you've kind of combined a sort of individualism <laughs> with a sort of, in a sort of group project, um, which, yeah, I don't know, which might all be bullshit, but... But I think there, there's like a lot, like what I did enjoy about the that documentary was the documentary was uh, um, they did really look into the sort of psychological side of it and how that like can affect our thinking. Um, 
and you can look at it from a sort of you know cultural hegemony kind of aspect of it. What I find interesting, so for example, about when he's talking about Brexit, before he gets into it, he talks about you know this chap in the 1920s or 1930s going around um, rural Britain <laughs> learning um, folk dances and sort of the site, you know, sort of almost um, recapturing this sort of German nationalist ideal of like, you yeah. know, talking about oh, the, the old rural stuff, yeah. country that it was before industry, yeah, the Volk. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, and the fact that like, it was, you know, the guy like says it, you know, like it's, it's a political project. It's to sort of recapture this idea of, you know, British empire and, you know, with the, um, um, uh, like, like the, recapturing the, the ideals of empire, whether they were necessarily true to begin with. Like people um, need a narrative in their lives. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, and which which you see, but you see that, and it's interesting that he brought that into the Brexit debate and sort of how people how it was framed. This idea of you know, we're Great Britain, you know, we were the empire, and blah blah blah. You know. Conveniently forgetting to talk about that. Yes, you were the empire. You're not fucking anybody anymore. Um, but also how that also fits in with a lot of, you know, what's been going on in the past year with sort of statue toppling and, you know, people, the fact that people still will stand up and say, you know, Churchill won us the war. Yes, Churchill also caused the famine of lots and lots of people. Yeah. He was a violent racist. You know, he's the one that came up with the idea of concentration camps and stuff. So, for example, I talked to our friend of the show, Sam, about this quite a lot. So, so I think people need and want a narrative in their life, and that includes myself. And they also of like, like, like the reasoning behind anything, like whether it's what the species is doing or as an individual. And so, for me, politically, that might be like leftist socialist stuff. Um, but. But do people want to be told every day that the history of their country is like, not even do they want to be told, okay, are people receptive to being told that everything they've learned, so say you're 40, 50, where for your entire life is one wrong and two immoral and barbaric? Like, obviously, no. And we have to, so, and we obviously, but we have to come to terms with it. And I just wonder how you do that without putting the people off obviously there's a put there's a line so like um i don't know if, if someone's like horrifically racist or whatever there's a line where you just write yeah you know in a way you have to write those people off where you're not going to engage them because they're just horrible racists no okay so like to actually no no i i i have a response to this i think that this both are psychologically damaging uh in very different ways um i would argue that an inability to reflect on, you know, your national psyche will lead you to think two things that can be inherently awful. I mean, the fact that like the Belgians, for example, have never really, um, you know, not, not until the last 10 years really had to examine their relationship with the Congo. Uh, the fact that, you know, people now talk about the Mau Mau, um, mm in the UK, you know, they talk about Britain's past, you know, when we talk about like Britain and slavery, so yeah, we started the slave trade, but we also ended it, which you also didn't, and you were also but who, paying off okay, I get to, it, but like, who's, um, who's you? No, no, but who's you? Know, you like, so, so this is the thing, so, like, I, um, 
so people who uh, so any uh, people who want to have a slave owner's fucking statue up like there's something weird about that like, I, d- I don't understand why you'd support that right so it's just strange to me but if if you don't want so but obviously someone who let's say is patriotic about the country because not everyone who's patriotic about the country is a fan of one Brexit, two empire, but let's say, but a contract and so, and all they want to, and so uh, they have no involvement personally of horrific things that happened 50, 100, 150, 200 years ago. And there's slight eliding of this idea of like, if you support certain political vision now, you are actually basically we could that overlaps with your sort of defending uh the bengal famine which i i kind of get that there's like if no I, brexit so, stuff so, is there is a harking back to empire but most of the fucking people ha- who hated the eu fucking hated the eu and brussels as do i okay and i don't believe mm. i'm a massive racist but we've got two different visions of things obviously yeah. they want they're probably harking back to like a whiter yep. Britain or there's less immigrants or all these kind of, you know, Churchill yep. scene or so. Was it? But, uh, but there is, there, it is, it's like, you know, so, okay. So the left, everyone on the left thinks, oh yeah, Clement Attlee is wonderful and like Nye Bevan and stuff. These are people, you know, did great things and they mean that, you know, I live for somewhere where there's even the crumbling welfare state. But, you know, they were overseeing the Indian uh subcontinent as, as like Britain's little sort of plaything. Um and other sort of foreign policy sort of <laughs> things that weren't particularly pleasant. And you, but but you don't write those people off as like, oh my God, they're like horrific. Uh, my vision of so like British socialism is then tainted by the fact that oh you love Atlee so you love the fucking empire because they were literally at the levers of control of empire maybe maybe you can I'm not like trying to be too devil's advocate but maybe you can like the fact that Churchill whooped the fucking Nazis without think with not thinking about because you have to do it but without celebrating concentration camps against the Boer I don't know if you can, but I, but but it's very sure. simplistic. Because do those I people think know that, anything about no, but that? My, my, they know anything about the Boer War or the Bengal Famine? Probably no. not. But that I I would say that like then becomes a ma- a major problem with the way um, you know societies are structured is that you can control people when you you know like it, I mean this is. This I would say is, you know, very, um, you know, 1984 sort of stuff, which, you know, it's not a great book, but the whole sort of um, who yeah, controls sure. the past controls the future, you know, like the, like if you can convince people that, you know, you are, you know, like, you know, the UK, using the UK as an example, because we're talking about Brexit and church and slavery and whatever, um, that, you know, you are the progeny yeah, of, of great men who had no flaws, then, you know, you are going to, like, that, that happens, has wide that implications about how you generally single corner of planet people. Earth. But we'll be okay No, no, but that's my point. That being the case like, in some places. It, 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 in a wider context, it's like, consider this, like, you know, when when you have jokes between say British and American, like, so consider American exceptionalism, right? 
Why do Americans believe in American exceptionalism? It's because their history tells them that they are exceptional. Um, but that's not like it's it's not yeah, an honest yeah, view yeah. of the past. And I think that a lot of conflict comes from very uh, poor understanding of your current situation and how you got there. I mean, if you consider, you know, when, again, talking about this documentary, the, the fact that the British cleared out, um, you know, the mid-level managers and the political apparatchiks from uh, Baghdad at the fall of the Ottoman Empire and then, um, and, and, and in Saudi Arabia as well, uh, and then brought in these, um, you know, sheikhs and tribal leaders and things like that to then create this sort of more pleasant form without actually understanding the history of that society, like properly understanding that yeah, history. Of course. So, no, 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 but okay. If you want any sort of progress, this is a problem. So if you um, want pro- some, and I don't know how you get around this. So if you want a progressive movement that is interesting to more than seven people that already agree with it and that is in power long enough to get on the curriculum because that's where you fucking need it to all this stuff. <laughs> you, you, you're not going to change your mind of a you know, 68-year-old gammon that uh, this country is like, mm. you know, has never uh, done anything. You know, yeah, we might have sort of, you know, uh, wiped out a certain group in a certain country, but, you know, there's probably good reason for it. That's probably how these people regard it, you know, whatever. Um, you know, white man's burden, whatever. But, you know, you have to... The, the starting point is that you have to get people on board, you know, if you are going to, like, change the future of things. Uh, and I, and I don't know how, and I don't know how you do that because if you just tell people that they're fraught, they are the progeny of, instead of wonderful people, which that's bullshit. There's this progeny of evil fucking assholes that are the worst, the exceptionalism, but in the other way, people are just going to switch off, aren't they? So I don't know in a li- liberal democracy, how do you get around that yeah. in the sense if you do need the person to at least, you know, go into the fucking booth and put the X in. Um, and if you just tell people like, oh, this country's yeah. a shithole and let's take out all the empire stuff from it and just look at a very short period of like 10, 20 years because there's enough <laughs> from that, whether it's blowing up fucking half of the Middle East <laughs> or, you know, impoverishing our own children. Yeah, so you've got, like, you know, in austerity yeah there's this trap that like yeah the left and neighbor in constantly it's uh, which is farage comes out talks about the possible like sunny uplands of the future if we just get rid of the shackles of europe brussels the elite he's he's fucking part of whoever whereas the left's always having to sort of say like you know the country's a fucking shithole uh the tories have turned it into a dump um you know, uh, your life's, you're literally saying to me, your life's fucking crap, isn't it? <laughs> and people, and me and Sam talk about this quite a lot, from the friends <laughs> somewhere, it's uh, mutual friends somewhere. Um, there's this weird thing, it's hard, like when you got to say to people like, yeah, your life's shit, isn't it? And some, a lot of people will be like, oh, I'm on the zero hour contract, I'm all right. Like, they, but they, like, they might not be, it might be, you know, you can create a better existence for those people. But it's very, you know, like talking down to uh, vast mm. numbers of people sort of being like, you know what, and as if I've got it all fucking, you know, usually the messenger is someone who's like, you know, I don't know, done their fucking history or sociology degree or something and been unemployed for four years or something, I don't know, and sort of telling them, you know what, um, your life's pretty crap, mate, and um, we've got the answer. Um, it's, it, it, 
it's very similar to Mormonism. I, I know, I completely agree with that. ways and to evangelical Christianism, mm. Christianity, where you're just kind of like, uh, you know, you are to be saved. You, you know, you're living in sin. And, you know, most, you know, if people come to me and you and go, you're living in sin, I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> because we don't believe in the outcome. So if, you, if I don't believe in socialism, you tell me like, oh, you know, my mm. existence is so shit and you can watch it. I could go, right, okay, you fucking utter, shut the door. Like if a Mormon comes to you and says, oh, you know, if you want to get to heaven, yeah. we're going to have to do this for you and you're going to have to do that, whatever. And you just go like, okay, bye. And this is the same sort of thing. No, I I, com- I completely agree with that. I mean, I think, the, but that also plays into the sort of psychological aspect of it. Um, I think that you know, you know, there was a report coming out today, like you know, record numbers of people under the age of seventeen are committing suicide. Seven percent, literally seven percent. You know, like drug drug use, uh, antidepressants, anti anxiety anti medication. It's it's on the rise, um, and I think that people don't want to know and i mean i completely agree with you and i mean whether it's from a political point of view or an emotional point of view it's like people don't want to hear how bad it is because then you know perhaps they will have to be confronted with the reality um but i also think that what is reality um, though i mean that's a big statement but it's it's like you and i are having the conversation is if we have reality here that i could like have written down or drawn and other people don't have access to it. Hmm. Whereas what I think Adam Curtis would say is that no, no, I mean, like, I'm, like, I'm not, I'm not suggesting and possibly outcome pro- projects are our form of fantasy that stop us going mad. And this is something I've thought about quite a lot in the last couple of years, or especially since the general election in Britain is I, my ideas and beliefs politically are so out of touch with the general population it's very weird for me to talk as if I know what the fuck I'm talking about. And I wish that more people on the left would think about this because there is a saviour complex that if we take that to its logical extension, obviously in the history of Britain, that's anyone who thinks they know better than vast waves of millions of other people tend to do bad things. Um, Especially British people (laughs) in that, in that case. But um, so I'm, claiming yeah. I know better whereas I'm completely out of step with the pop- like population and anyone also who regards it like mm. so for example you know the idea that the global proletariat is the like a uh, an actor of like historical agent of change which was the case for sure until it was crushed and now it's now it's basically divided, smashed to pieces, atomized, alienated. Well, that's the entire basis of Mm. like communism and socialism shattered in terms of the agent that will bring it about. So you kind of have to sit down and go, well, you have, so, you know, I believe that something like Corbynism is like this tiny faint echo from the past of something that was, it was a thing but it was like the last dying cry before it's snuffed out and it's gotten. Obviously that's something that like probably 35 year old leftists have thought throughout time where they give up to an extent. So I'm completely aware. Well, I mean, I think that there is like a dichotomy between, you know, there is, and and it's really like, at least, you know, for me, like I, I completely, like I am, 
not remotely disagreeing with your position on this. I do think it's very difficult to talk to people about this kind of thing. Um, and on the one hand, it's sort of like, you know, I, I'd like to think people could be better. And I mean, part of the reason why I think people should know history better is because then they can approach things. Really yeah, sure. Okay. So for example, so, okay. What you know, like okay, I, wait, sorry, sorry. I, do, I don't I think that. Because it's a very important point. From seeing that Adam Curtis mm. documentary and other stuff, whatever, how do you, would you say you make people better? So I guess you don't believe in re-education camps because neither of us would. I would obviously not mass no, violence. No, I definitely believe not in re-education not camps. What we do. Yeah, that's true, was it? Uh, but how do you make people think what you and I think is correct without any kind of coercion and you get them to fucking vote for that if you're trying to do it in a liberal democracy, which has failed... That's so we we know that's failed. So what are the alternatives now? Because you have to make people. If you want to make people, but this is a problem, and I think this is now what I feel disturbed about somewhat on the with the left. The tr- people you want to construct the their ideal, per moral, and it is very yeah, big mm. emphasis on the moral per individual. Who the fuck is involved? Who does that, and how, and why? Mm. And if you if you don't and if you come to power, and the people won't follow you, or they start to sort of degenerate in inverted commas, and they still want to buy Levi's or whatever, or they still want to buy iPhones, and they don't they still care about consumer whatever, what do you do with them? <laughs> and this is this I think is the key thing of like which because the left's been out of power for so long and it has like socialism so like broken up has never had to think about these sort of things and people on the left have not you know you have to con. It's not even an inkling in the eye because it's so far away and that we even get to the fucking like, oh, we're in control of the the treasury or something, you know, the money. But, yeah, what if people are still like a little bit selfish, a little bit altruistic, a um, little bit petty, a little bit uh, thoughtful, a little bit what's it, little, and this sort of thing. And, and, but they're not going to quite go with everything they do every day is bloody excellent and really good for other people and part of some overarching grand project that the 10% of people or in the population, probably what, 0.25% or something, regard as the correct destination for humanity Mm. or the country. Well, see, uh, I mean, from my, you know, like I I get like you're you're raising a a general question, but I mean, from my personal perspective i would say i like i have a very bleak outlook you know i you know loathe to quote orwell again um but you know imagine if you want to imagine the future imagine a boot stamping on a human face yeah. forever i mean i genuinely think that i think that we are um as digital, people as a society we are very um we are oppressed in a lot of different ways, whether it's direct or indirect. Um, and, you know, and I don't believe there is anything that can be done. I think we, we are, you know, on a sort of dependent path, you know, hurtling towards a very horrible future. I, I have no um, uh, pleasant, sunny uplands to look forward to. But, you know, I still try to mount my own personal protests and you know where I can, and and it's usually very insignificant things. But um, I think that you know the opportunities that I get to sit and talk to people, um, I take them 
you know, and I, I do question people and, you know, and, and it's sort of like, if you ever like talk to a racist, for example, you know, you don't ask them why you're a racist. You wait for them to tell you something and you say, why do you think that? Mm-hmm. Like what has led you to that conclusion? And then you can challenge that. And, you know, yeah, you're probably not going to change anybody's mind in particular. I mean, okay. So they so this is like one of the things, right? Like I don't tell, I don't often tell people, when I first meet them, that mm. I mix race because I wait for them to say something racist, <laughs> just so they can feel uncomfortable. Okay. <laughs> no, but I mean, like in in oh wait, in sorry, what did you Sweden, say? I didn't, example, I didn't think I heard. Did you say that you're not that you're mixed race? So you wait to say something racist. Yeah, no, I I don't tell them yeah, that yeah. I mix race, and then I more often than not, people just fucking disappoint right, okay. me. Um, you know, and I mean, this like in Sweden, this has happened a lot, so. Is like this the fact that this happened like at least five times to me in almost six years like the, the fact that it's happened more than once is really annoys me but i'm surprised it's that Sweden, though, to be honest is, uh, chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> well no i mean this is this is like people that like oh, okay, i have like met through, you know family and things like that like you know not just like random man on the street like these are people like i've been introduced to and you know you wait long <laughs> enough and more often than not it's the same fucking thing as well, which is what really annoys me. It's always some fucking white Swede. And it is like, um, you know, so they, they have this delicacy, like dessert, chocolate balls, right? Hukla bola, right? And obviously they're brown. And you can guess what they used to be called until, you know, the PC brigade <laughs> came. Um, should just point out. I came and decided, you know, half a bottle of using. Wine during this recording. So <laughs> I, if there's any childish reaction on my part or anything like that, <laughs> then I literally can't control no, but it. I mean, now talking about balls. So, um, no, but I mean, you know, so they had a former name, which I will leave you to guess at what they well, were. Well, I lived in Switzerland, man, and there was N word, uh, sweets. They're, they're called N. Yeah. yeah. So that's what they were called here. Right. But like the amount of people that have come up to me as a foreigner, like I'm out of Swedes that come up to me as a foreigner and been like, oh, you know what, you know what, these are called like chocolate balls. Yeah, obviously. Oh, do you know what they used to be called? And then, like, mm, you know, and then they'd be like, oh yeah, we had to change the name because some people got offended. <laughs> I'm just sort of sitting there and I've genuinely like people that I've like had to sit across from a dinner yeah. table have said this to me. Fucking weird, man. And, it's like, like, I and that is why well, like, I like just, that, yeah. I don't have any faith in people. Well, it's like it's like yeah, like and Holland. With, is it Saint Peter or whatever? It's like um, Saint oh, okay. with um, Svart Peter. It's, yeah. it's like you really can't see what's racist about people. Are like, oh god, come on, it's not racist. It's just a you know a uh, what's oh. it, like minstrel. <laughs> yeah, get come on, you know, <laughs> calm down. You're like this is like the most racist thing ever. Uh, and you like, but it's like remember, I think we've talked about this before. You remember that that's a jam company that used to like have little stamps you could cut out of the label and you collect enough of them and you've got a little gollywog in the post you know and it's just sort of like things like that and i'm just like it's un- like to me now like it's unfathomable and the fact that like people like you can't like these are the kinds of people i'm talking about you can't change their opinions you know and this is why and this is my point like i don't tell people mixed race because like i don't want to get my hopes up and thinking this person might not be a piece of shit. No, but have you ever have you ever said stuff to people and then they act all differently? Yeah. <laughs> well, no. I mean, like the amount of time, like, um, 
I, you know, like people have just been sort of like either some like there was one time I was I was working uh, in a restaurant when I first moved here, and one of the uh, guys that financed the restaurant came in. And he was chatting and stuff like that. And we were having a joke and it was Christmas. So you get these chocolate balls at Christmas time. And so one of the chefs I knew pretty well. I've been working with him for about six months, you know. Um, so, yeah, he knew I was mixed race. No big deal. And this guy, like, starts joking around and he's going, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the fact that, like, I looked at the chef and the chef looked at me and he was, like, almost apologetic. But he didn't say anything. Right, yeah. I mean, what was he going to say anyway? But, like, and I was like, I'm, you know, like, fine, this guy's going to say it. You know, I don't have to interact with him. It's, it, it's not like me speaking out isn't going to change anything. You know, it's just going to, like, the guy's just going to, like, then say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. But it's still I'm sorry you're offended, well, which no, also no, really annoys me. Next time like, in that situation, but then it's like, well, yeah, they're just covering themselves or something next time. Are they really actually changing their... Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, I'm sure, you know, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like, yeah, I feel, I'm sure I've fallen short if someone said something horrible around me and I've not what's it in all kinds of ways. I mean, like that thing of, I was thinking about the other day with, uh, you know, you have to you have to be in a room with only men to find out how men talk about women when they're not in the fucking room yeah. or, or, or basically taxi drivers <laughs> generally. Um, and yeah, the sort of grim stuff that said or whatever. And then, uh, that, yeah, it is it, basically like, yeah, the, the horrible things you expect you sort of, the, I assume women probably think men are say well, men just say it out in the fucking open anyway, but like, you know, the horrible stuff said behind people's backs or whatever. And um, that's obviously the same with, you know, race, whatever. Um, but the, pro- yeah. But I mean, uh, but I think it's, it's, those it's, people it's, it's... exist. And the thing is, they've had all their education. They've had their decades of existence. And, and I do wonder what is, what is the fate of those people <laughs> if a sort of progressively sort of lefty sort of movement comes to power because there'll be sort of like personas as in the plural non gratis I don't know um mm. do you just let them spout shit personas non grata uh do you, do you like I, I you know like what do you do you know like because you can't reprogram them until, unless you send them to a fucking re-education camp and you can't no. put them through their education again because like most of this is down to one, what your parents say to you when you're a kid, and two, it, which is not specific. My dad, my dad would say around me until I was is shameful, and I would actually say shit to him. Obviously, uh, he in my twenties he would use the p like p word for Pakistanis and stuff, which is just wild, really. You know, in terms of this is like two thousand and mm. fucking ten or something. You know, uh, and it like the support- last time I heard someone say p word was huh? like three weeks. Yeah. The last time I heard, you know, and, like no, no, in but, conversation, like yeah. that I was talking to, like this guy was like talking to me about cricket and this local like Swedish cricket club. And he was like, oh, this, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's fucking kidding me. It's, it's, and it's just like, and when people are doing that, I mean, I don't talk to my dad anymore, that the, the sort of some of the casual racism, where, yeah, he's the sort of person where it's like, oh, he's got a black friend, so he sort of wouldn't have seen himself as racist, but he used the word fuck which is completely needless to do and horrible but also it's a thing of like a willful kind of no one's gonna 
like police no how I speak, thing, yeah. which is another fucking yeah. thing people are up against in that people don't want to be told what the fuck to do, even if they're doing something horrible. Huh. But yeah, I mean, you know, although I think like, so for example, like, yeah, anyway, but anyway, I mean, yeah, so, um, yeah. And so, so basically a lot of that is just, yeah, what the grim shit, your fucking family and peer, like people change or change their opinion on stuff really only if their parents, close, yeah, siblings, best mates, uh, or girlfriend, wife, boyfriend, partner, whoever, say it to them. If yeah. someone shouts at them like, oh, you're racist and da-da-da, and they're not, what's it? Most people just fucking zone out, switch off, uh, and it's yeah. basically pointless. So, it, or your teacher or something when you're a kid. So these are the sort of, and I and I remember like literally someone like 10 years younger than me who's like, just like, look, and I remember getting this argument with someone, it's like a shit landlord years ago, and she was like, this, if you succumb, because I'd written out this whole thing I was going to say to them about them being horrible and that sort of thing. She said, you can say all this to them. They're not going to take any of it in. And she said, you're yeah. completely right on everything. She said, I agree with you on everything, which she didn't for most stuff. <laughs> not for most stuff, but she wasn't like sort of like, oh yeah, Peter, you're on But she's like, I agree with everything you're saying. Everything she's acted like abhorrently. But if you say like, oh, you've been like this, you've been like selfish, you've been horrible, she won't take it in whatsoever if her co- brother says that to her or her fucking very close work colleague or a best mate or a, yeah my, then they will um so i guess that's the thing of like you know if like my, my dad used to say you know a racist word or whatever and i'd pull him up on it if if any if he's gonna hear this to anyone, it's probably his fucking eldest son. And if they're not gonna listen to them, they're not gonna fucking listen to anyone. <laughs> so he might as well write them off at that point for sure. But like, um, uh, yeah, I mean, so that's sort of yeah, difficult in its own way as well. Bloody. But I think sort of bringing that back round to sort of the idea that individuals are suffering from you know the sort of bleakness of everything. It's a sort of you know. In some sense, they're like death throes of arrogance in that, you know, like I'm not going to let anybody tell me what I can and cannot say. Um, and I, I, I do think that it's, it's you know, the sort of the multitude of, um, you know, weights that are on people's shoulders, you know, cause them to act out in, in certain ways. And how that represents itself is uh, in a lot of, uh, you know, I mean, if you think of... Um, you know, if you think of the uh, the industrialized communities and things like that, you know, when you people like, oh, jobs have gone over there. You know, that's the bloody Chinese are doing this. And they literally and have gone over there. Kind of and they literally have gone to China, and it's literally the politicians that sold them out to that. I mean, none, yeah. none of yeah, that's exactly. not real. <laughs> so someone could. But I mean, but that's my that. point. It's, it's, it's sort of like real. it's 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 the it's the it's these sort of death rows of it. I think is that you know like people need an enemy you know it's it's no but when um, did they though so so when okay so before they like uh before u.s corporations decided that they couldn't be fucked to keep paying their workers to be more productive which they have been uh they're going to just like export the stuff to yeah epz's or whatever in china uh and pay what you know a hundredth of the wages and none of the working conditions uh, were people in America complained about Chinese people? Probably not, and probably never even thought about Chinese people or China. And mm. some of this stuff is like when some of these like things are said, 
in a very like base grim way of like a Trumpian type sense of like blaming China and speaking about Chinese people in a very unpleasant way and all that sort of thing. Yeah, it's this very like base anger that comes from yeah. obviously like the kernel of truth that is not the Chinese, obviously the Chinese fucking Politburo and the US kind of corporations and political elite uh, fucking over entire swathes of people in America and China, mm-hmm. obviously, because obviously there's people working in those export processing zones getting, you know, treated like shit as well. Um, but having, there's no one to step in because there's no organised mass left of like historical import anymore to step in and say, whoa, 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 no, 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 it's not, it's not the Chinese, it's not like a Chinese poor person working in a fucking factory you got to worry about. It's all, it's the Republicans and the Democrats that sold you out. It's the Apples that sold you out. It's all these companies and the GMs or whoever, uh, Nike and all that. But if you can't articulate that stuff, I think it's got to be very careful that like as sort of, you know, middle class white person that sort of just, you know, had so much time to just sit at university and sort of read books and think about it and talk about it, blah, blah, blah sort of stuff and wasn't actually working in the factory and given the opioids and said fuck off and, you know, uh, mm. you know, sort of, you know, have no existence in life and just sort of, you know, uh, whatever, uh, to go like, oh, they're really not, they're really talking about this in quite a barbaric way, <laughs> you know, um, mm. because no one's given the vocabulary, the political or literal vocabulary to conceptualize what the fuck's going on. So, so what? Yeah. What you going to well, do? I mean, I found that like China. My job interesting. went to China, so I hate Chinese people. Yeah, no, not everyone uh. in that position will say that, but they might just be like, "Oh, China is the, is the enemy or the problem." It's like, was it? Yeah, you, know, you can kind of fucking understand it if you say like the that very visceral outrage and anger and upset, even though it's completely fucking wrong because it's nothing to do with Chinese people. It's like an elite group slither of the Chinese sort of, you know, political high command. And then obviously all the corporate and political high command in the US. But I'm not going to sort of sit and judge sort of going like, oh, yeah, well, you know, they're not really talking about it in the way that I learned about it on, in the social science department mm. at so-and-so university in 2008. You know, <laughs> I've not been on fucking opioids for 15 years because the job I was doing for 30 years was sent abroad. I don't know what shit I would come out with if I was in that situation. I literally don't know. No, no, definitely. But I mean, but I think that, that like, but it's it's not a new phenomenon, which I think is the problem. Um, you know, like going back to uh, Appalachian in, in the Adam Curtis thing, when he was talk, uh, he, there was the labor lawyer for an Appalachian mining town, and the mining town owned the, um, you know, owned the houses, owned the mines, uh, owned the store, um, and paid people in scripts that could only be used in the stores that the uh, mining company owned. And then all of a sudden, upping sticks and moving away. And then you're left with a sort of mass of people that, you know, like there's a, there's an interesting song, um, 16 tons, which talks about that. Um, and it's sort of, I owe my soul to the company store, you know, and it's, and I don't think it's necessarily really changed. I mean, I think that, yeah, we're not necessarily like locked in into a single company owning necessarily, uh, you know, where we live and where we, um, 
buy things and, and things like that. But we are basically enthralled to, you know, massive industrial global versions of that. And, you know, if you sort of fall outside, like, I mean, consider like if you don't have a mobile phone, yeah, you know, in the modern day, like if you're not connected to the internet, must be so good. You, know, you might as well not <laughs> exist. No, no, of course you can't. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, and I think that, you know, and, and it, 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 like, I mean, obviously it's, it's not a, uh, it's not a apples for apples comparison, but I mean, I, I do think that the, we're sort of locked it. Like, and this is why I find it so debilitating sometimes is that I do feel I'm sort of locked into a system that there is sort of, you know, no end in sight. And, you know, and, and I, I take on your point very, very much that, you know, how do you change it? How do you sort of create fraternity among people and workers and things like that and, and an understanding of history and sort of putting people's lives into the context of like, because because we are, you know, aside from how do you begin that change, but also because we're so atomized and we're so, in theory, individualized that we're so sort of separated from mass movements anyway um you know no well uh, it is possible because we came from a position where it was possibly worse you know before you know like yeah, i don't know take it 150 200 years ago um even just having some collective memory of that but um i think things like algorithmic control are like possible game changers um and the whole kind of social, cre- like credit score system in China, will be like fascinating to watch, to see how that can be applied in, even if it's like the kind of fag end of liberal democratic societies. It's still quite different doing that here than it is in China, although. Apparently, you know, epidemiologists were saying there's no way we'll be able to do a quarantine like the Chinese did at the start of the COVID outbreak. And then Italy did it and they're like, wow, we can actually do that here. And they had, they were just like, that's just not possible in Britain, Germany, France, whatever. Um, no, my um, my boss actually said that. Yeah, um, and, and it's interesting. She was, she was uh, interviewed uh, by The Guardian in April last year. Yeah. And she re- sort of tells the story of how, um, you know, when China first sort of started locking places down, uh, she was having a, a meeting with some German minister, my boss's job. Um, and he was saying, oh, you know, it'd be absolutely impossible to do this in Europe. You know, we, mm. we could never do it. And then, you know, less than a month later, that's what happened. I think what well, people, uh, really, people really demanding talking to her about that. Yeah, and people demanding it, and if they're when they're, and this is why, like Boris Johnson's, yeah, you know, he's he's made mistakes on coming out lockdown stuff, but he's he's also quite aware with the numbers now, so he's really having to fight off backbench Tories because they want to get out of lockdown, but he's mm. looked at the numbers and they're very clear that uh, the support. There is still public massive public support for remaining in lockdown. Um, mm. And which will probably change over the next month or two, but still, because again, people prefer security, comfort over freedom and like sort of liberal rights on that front. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, these kind of things, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but once you give up certain rights, it's very hard to get them back. And once a government has 
access to certain powers and it becomes like a norm they love to fuck they'll there's no way they don't use them again you know so it's like a very bad flu season in a couple of years we'll have fucking hancock on tv saying we're gonna have to go into lockdown save you know uh uh like hundreds of thousands sorry like tens of thousands of elderly people uh and you know there's that thing how do you argue about that so i'm now somewhat uncomfortable with lockdown not like literally as an individual just in principle you know, and you talk to, and I, you know, when I would say this to anyone like on the left, basically they're like, oh, it's a slippery slope saying that, you know, you kind of like give up the life of like 83 year olds so that 77% of 17 to 25 year olds aren't killing themselves. Uh, and I just like, well, yeah, the slippery slope goes both ways, doesn't it? I mean, you know, and, and mm. you're sort of seen as someone who is fine with old people dying. Um, which is interesting because I'm a horrible you know, that, person, people. <laughs> <laughs> no, which I'm not. Um, and uh, and th- those people, the elderly people now uh, that we're protecting 30 years ago would have got on a bus with flu, had a good cough, gone to work, <laughs> not get, given mm. a second fucking thought that some 72-year-old on a bus might have got ill and died, right? Because that's just not how society functions of illness. Okay, so it's very, uh, but suddenly this is like now like a bizarre thing where it's like, well, we've got to keep the maximal number of people over a certain age alive, and it's I don't know. I just I, like I like like I agree, obviously, but then another part of me is like, I really wish that was sort of the fantasy world fairy tale existence we live in. I think that that is... Every year of my life, people have just gone, oh, yeah, excess deaths of, like, you know, 80,000 people every winter because they can't, you know, heat the housing. You might go, oh, yeah, I'm, like, left-wing. I don't want that to happen. But you don't fucking stay in... Like, don't, like, do anything about it. It's like, you know, it's like you don't sit there go, oh, my God, we've got to change, like, the whole societal structure. Well, we do. And, like, if your socialist doesn't think people should be, you know, uh, freezing to death in their own homes. But, But, like... I don't know. Uh, 2017, 50,000 people died of flu. It's a very bad flu. Says, I don't even fucking remember it. And no one I know is under 40 remembers it or gives a flying fuck at the time. Uh, mm. And now it's like a sort of another moral, it's like a moral thing to prove that you're a moral, decent person. If you want to have kids that don't know how to read or write yet, uh, shutting doors, can barely speak, not developing properly. Uh, as sort of functional human beings, which is barely what the school system does. But, I mean, it does it by at least 3%, I guess. Um, well, I mean, uh, I think, like, I yeah, I think that it, that is a valid argument. I think that with something like, like, I, you know, couldn't give a fuck about the flu. With COVID, it's a little bit different because it's less well understood in how yeah, it affects sure. people. So I don't so, think I it's mean, blanket H1N1 sort of, was, you know, like... Yeah, but that was the same for swine flu. That was the same for... There will be another pa- SARS one, um, yeah. There will be another fucking pandemic in like three, four, five years or whatever. As long as people still eating meat, for fuck's sake, we're gonna have pandemics basically. When they're just shoving animals into small spaces uh, by their thousands or you know millions or whatever, you know, we're fucked as a species on these like you know things jumping the species barrier. Um, well, I mean, I was just gonna say the. Um uh, what was it? H5N8 has jumped from birds. Oh, good. Thanks, Lee. Now. The bearer of good news for everyone there. 
You thought you were about to come out of lockdown, kids. Well, think again, dickheads. <laughs> well, I mean, if there was ever a title for the show, it would be Think Again, Dickheads. Yeah, there you go. But, but no, no, but it's... Um, where does this end? I mean, it doesn't you know... Uh, it's you, an yeah, ongoing well, spiral straight to fucking <laughs> No, no, but the whole logic is like, you know, you've got to... It's very... It's like, is it Bentham or whatever? It's like utilitarian, utilitarianism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it. Bentham, he hadn't had a half bottle of wine when he fucking came up with that philosophy, did he? Um, I bet you he's where, a fucking pisshead. <laughs> no, but... Oh, yeah, okay, we've seen here, probably had... Uh, he's just like more intelligent being able to do it on the wine and or what's it, but uh, we're just like, well... Keep the maximum number of people happy and uh, alive, and those people that die over there of the effects of your policies, who gives a shit? It's very, I don't know, it's odd, and uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be in power, partly because I wouldn't want to make those decisions of who's worthy of going mad and who's worthy of killing themselves or who's worthy of living another three months where someone who. Pass takes their own life. Who would have lived for forty dec forty decades? <laughs> Blimey, the wine's kicking in. <laughs> Four decades. Uh, you know, there's weird stuff now, man. Where I, like this is, I'll say this to you because no one's listening. But I do find, and I've had half a bottle of wine, but no one's listening. I find it very uneasy and strange that we uh, haven't given the the vaccines people with like bad asthma yet. I think we're there now in the next tranche to do so. Like now. I would have given mm. it to them if they're like 23, like two months ago, yeah. before I gave it to the 84-year-olds who will live for another three months versus the the person with uh, asthma who might live 50 years uh, if mm. they don't die of COVID. But that's just me. But maybe I'm an evil, <laughs> awful person. I don't know. But some of these decisions, no, I'm I just mean, like, who the fuck is coming up with this shit? <laughs> or maybe I'm just... A horrible, horrible person. I don't know. Probably both. I don't know. Like my initial thought was, you know, fucking Tory voters. Um, there you go. Yeah, no, no, but they're um, loving it. So in a month, right? Like now, all the fucking Tory voters are vaccinated, and once again, the youths are fucking fucked over. Although apparently everyone in Britain will have a vac one dose by July. So. um yeah, I look forward to getting my Bill Gates uh, surveillance chip. <laughs> yeah, we'll do. You know, we did. Had... We, we managed to do two yeah. weeks without COVID, so you know. Yeah, when, maybe when, three yeah we'll stop it. We'll wind up now because it's it's quarter cool past ten in the in the Munter district of Stockholm. But what I would just say, yeah, we'll, we'll if I get a jab, we'll do a special where it's like Lee's trying to work out if Bill Gates is controlling everything <laughs> I say, do, and think, uh, and you'll ask me questions of like, I'm like. No, I've been thinking about it actually, and I don't. I push my my glasses up, up the what's it with those? I don't think I should be getting a tan because I don't think it's a very good idea uh, in the in the long term uh, and logically, it's stupid. No, but it, it'll be when you become like you know Elon Musk's biggest fan. That yeah, or I start wearing like uh, I don't know, like just start dressing like Bill Gates and have his same hair. No, 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 no. See, this is the thing. Like Bill Gates wouldn't <laughs> want people dressing like him. Bill, Bill Gates would want people dressing like Steve Farmer. Um, and that fucking mentalist. Oh God, yeah. Fuck, Crikey. Yeah. No, I'm not anyway. going Bulmer. I'm not going full Bulmer. <laughs> that would be bad. If anyone though doesn't know who he is, then you probably have had a good life. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, you should no. Google. Well, um, we've really Google, covered in depth. Uh, Windows. Windows. What is it? What was it? Ninety eight release party where they're dancing on stage. 
Exactly. Who's he there at 90? Oh, yeah, because he was there before. He was probably CEO. And then he, uh, yeah. I mean, they he really did make sure that Windows Phone became the operating system of the future. Right. On that note, I, I don't know how we've lost well, yeah, well, an hour and 40 note, minutes. When you say on that note, you can't just say on that note and then just say nothing. <laughs> I would just sighing to myself because I have to listen to an hour and 40 minutes of an hour talking. and 40 minutes of Lee's head <laughs> beautiful this won't go right. up till what April we'll <laughs> <laughs> oh, be out of lockdown by the time this is up yeah no, Britain will be out of lockdown which says you'll have, the t- you'll have the time to listen to it anyway I'm sorry that it was so fucking depressing Bye. get knotted I was born one morning when the sun didn't shine I picked up my shovel and I walked to the mine I loaded 16 tons of number nine coal And the straw boss said, well, to bless my soul You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store So to the company store.